You know, it seems like uh, no matter what age or what day and age you grow up, what generation you're in, uh, two things have always sort of fascinated our human minds. I mean, this is true in, in first century. It's true before Jesus came. And that is, uh, what happens when a person dies? I mean, exactly how does this go down? You know, what happens in the process of dying and what happens after a person takes their last breath? Uh, and, and then the second thing is, so if I'm still living, exactly when is the end of the world going to come and how's that going to go down? Because we see all the scriptures that say a whole lot about it, and yet there's a whole lot that we don't know about how things are going to unfold exactly. Um, and this is as true for us today uh, as it was for the Thessalonian church. Or you might say it was, this was as true for the Thessalonian church as it is for our church today. You know, there's an interesting <laughs> website. I don't even remember the website address, but uh, it's, uh, it's, like a, it's like a Dow Jones ticker for uh, the probability of the rapture. And they take, you know, 25 or so categories and they score it based on what's happening in the world and give a probability score. Well, the probability score for 2023 is pretty high. But it's not the highest probability score, which was some years ago. And the truth of the matter is we don't really know when Jesus is going to come back. So here's one thing you can, I was talking with Aaron about it this morning. And he said, you know, I mean, if you just predict it every day, eventually you're going to be right. It's like, well, okay, that's true. But one thing you can be sure of, if somebody gets up here and stands and says, I know based on these factors that the return of the Lord Jesus is going to come on this date, pretty much bank, that's not going to be the case. We've seen it happen over and over again in history. The point about knowing when the Lord is going to return is not really as much about knowing when he's going to return. It's about knowing that he is going to return and knowing that he is going to return affects how we're supposed to live today. That's what the Apostle Paul's getting at. That's what Jesus is even getting at is he prophesies and, and, and speaks of the fact that he will return one day. It's not so we can get all out all of our charts and and get our, our graph paper and mark it all out. And, and don't hear me wrong. I kind of poked fun at that conversation a little bit. Don't hear me wrong to say that that's invalid conversation. It's not. It's actually a very valid conversation to try to understand how all of the scriptures apply together. And when we read the Old Testament prophecies and when we read uh, what we see Jesus say in the New Testament and we begin looking at what's happening in the world, it's a valid conversation to say how do these events unfold in a relative sense right we're not talking about specific dates or times but we're talking about relatively speaking how will these things begin to unfold well that's a very valid conversation and in and of itself is a worthy uh, topical sermon series but when paul is writing these words in thessalonians he's writing to encourage believers about what they already no, let's let's look at this uh, together here in First Thessalonians uh, chapter five, uh, one through eleven. The apostle Paul says, "Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, so you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves. Remember that that's an emphasize a way to emphasize that for you yourselves are 
fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet of and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, Encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. He's telling us as children of the day, that's a a euphemism or a way of talking about as those who are Christians live soberly. Why? To encourage one another in the hope for the day of the Lord. As children of the day live soberly to encourage one another in hope for the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is definite. There's no question about whether or not the Lord is coming back. Jesus himself said, I will return for you. One of the most comforting passages in John 14 is when Jesus says, I am coming for you. And and if I go to prepare a place for you, won't I come and I'll take you home to myself? Of course I will. It's some of the most encouraging words that we can read in the Scriptures. Paul wants the Thessalonian church... Remember, I mentioned a few weeks ago, some have have died or have gone asleep. Right? That's a way of speaking about passing away. They're, They're asleep. Their body has died. Their souls are very much alive in the Lord. And... There were those, that Second Thessalonians tells us, that there were those who were trying to sort of swindle the Christians in Thessalonica, writing fake letters. We don't know the specifics, but Paul in Second Thessalonians says, he's like, don't be discouraged by them, don't be confused by them, don't be dissuaded by them, others who purport to be us. You know, so somebody's messing with these young Christians in Thessalonica. And Paul's like, don't, don't let that get to you. Don't worry about that. You focus on the main things. right? Once somebody has gone to be asleep in the Lord, if they're Christians, they're with the Lord. And so he's saying here, as he moves to the day of the Lord or the day of judgment, he's probably answering a question. He says, now concerning the question you brought up. right? Now, it's, he doesn't add those words, the question you brought up, but... The way he writes about it, most people think he's responding to a question they would have asked. Remember, he's in Thessalonica. He preaches the gospel. Some come to faith. And then there's a mob that rises up against him. Acts 17 tells us about this. And so he's sort of like whisked out of the city and he's gone. And then later on, after some time, he sends Timothy. He says, hey, go back and check on these folks. I can't get there, um, but go back and check on these folks and encourage them. Right. 
uh, Timothy and Silvanus and go back and, and check on them, encourage them in their faith. And then Timothy brings back with him a report. And so he might have come back and he said, Paul, they're doing well. I mean, they're they're fighting for uh, the faith. Remember, he says in the beginning of first Thessalonians, he says, oh, we give thanks for you constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before God, our father, your work of faith, your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he hears this wonderful report. Remember, these are relatively new believers. They've learned quite a bit of theology. When someone comes to faith and they hear the Word of God, they want to grow in the Word of God, and that's never supposed to quit. We're supposed to continue wanting to grow in theology or the study of knowing God as God reveals Himself in the Scriptures until the day that we die, until the day that the Lord takes us home or, praise God, the day that He returns. We keep studying the Scriptures to know Him. Why? To worship Him, not just to fill our head with knowledge. And so Timothy says something maybe to the effect of they're not sure about what happens when somebody dies, which he deals with in chapter 4, verses 13 and 18. And here in chapter 5 he's saying they're curious about how the end of the world is going to go down. They're curious about the day of the Lord and how that's all going to work out. And so he says, look, when I was there, paraphrasing, when I was there, I taught you about this. He says, you yourselves... You have no need for anything to be written to you. In other words, I've told you what you need to know. Relax. I've told you what you need to know. You yourselves, you're fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Christians, you know this, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Thieves don't announce when they're going to come. They don't send you a telegram or send you an email or a text and say, hey, I'm going to come rob your house Friday night while you're gone. Wouldn't that be nice? They don't do that. That would foil their plan. Right? They don't do that. They sneak up on you. They sneak in when you're, not least, when you're least expecting it. They sleep in. I'm sorry. They sneak in when you're sleeping. And then you wake up and you're like, oh, my TV is gone. That's great. The day of the Lord is going to come. And those who are not in Christ will be shocked about it. What just happened? Like a thief who snuck in because you're not ready. But Christians, we're not caught off guard by it. We're ready. We're ready for the Lord to come and return for his people. We're ready for these things. Now, exactly how all of these events are going to get down, go down, we're not going to go into all those details because, uh, again, that's a more broad, topical series than the point that Paul's driving at here in 1 Thessalonians. Right? Essentially, what he's saying is, you yourselves are fully aware that I'm coming back. And that knowledge is to affect how you live. Right? Uh, maybe unbelievers are saying, hey, we've finally done it. Maybe the UN puts out an announcement one day and we've achieved peace. All these years, all these millennia, we've been working to try to figure it out. We got it. Well, I'd kind of be looking at this guy if somebody starts saying that. Every generation has kind of thought, oh, maybe, maybe when this happens, that, that'll. I remember being in middle school in Ohio. 
watching the Left Behind series, right? I'm like, man, we, we got to make sure we don't develop our theology about end times from a movie series. Now, it's a biblically informed movie series, but just be careful that from other books and other writings, we're developing our theology of the end times from the Word of God. But also, let's remind ourselves to be focused on the main thing. The main goal about understanding the end times is one, that Jesus is coming back. And two, it ought to affect how you live this afternoon. It ought to affect how you live tomorrow. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I know there's Tuesday in there. I'm just moving. Next week, next month, next year. If we have next year, we don't know. See, these New Testament Christians, they they really believe that Jesus' return was imminent. We ought to live in such a way that it's imminent rather than setting up cozy little pods for ourselves where we live comfortable in this world, comfortably in this world. We ought to be living with a, a wartime mentality. I heard one pastor say at one time, it's the difference between a cruise ship and a battleship. On a cruise ship, you've got all the amenities. You're comfy. You get three meals a day or nine meals a day. Right? You got all the things. You got the game room. You got the place for the kids to play so that the parents can go do their thing and enjoy themselves. In a battleship, everybody makes sure that their station's ready. And at any time when that sound starts going off throughout the submarine or on the battleship itself, every man to your station, boom, you know right where to go. You know exactly where to put yourself. You've already done the prep work so that everything is ready to go and you're at your station ready to defend. Friends, we need to view this life as a, a battleship, a wartime mentality. We're fighting against powers of the world that are spiritual, that are beyond our ability, but with the Lord we're able to stand, Ephesians tells us. Standing in the strength of the Lord, in the power of His might. He uses this analogy of a, a, a pregnant woman. Well, I'm trying not to look at Cassie when I say this over here, right? As a pregnant woman, labor pains, they come upon you. <coughs> you ready? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't draw attention to her. All of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm not going to try to go there anymore. It's going to be bad. But he says, he says, People are saying peace and security. Their sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they won't escape. You see the irony? People who think they're in control of the world, that think they've got the world by the, the, world by the tail. Oh, peace and security. Bam. They're going to see sudden destruction like they'd never imagined. All of the, all of the wars and, and rumors of wars that they were trying to fend off will be nothing compared to the wrath of God that awaits those who refuse to respond to the great gospel call of salvation. And that needs to impact us. Well, we need to not sit back and say, oh, I'm so glad I'm, I'm saved and I'm so glad that when Jesus comes, I get to return with Him to heaven and I get to live with Him for all of eternity and stop there. Yes, we say all those things. Yes, we believe all of those things, but we ought not stop there. We ought to be thinking about family and friends, those who, as the Apostle Paul says, who are asleep, meaning, meaning they're, 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 they're alive, but they're spiritually 
sleeping. They're living as those who live according to the night. I don't want to just be in theory land. Who do you know? Who do you know that doesn't know the Lord Jesus? Who do you know? Oh, I'm not saying whether or not they that they know about Jesus or about God or that they've been to an Easter service or Christmas Eve service. No, I'm, I'm asking you, who do you know that doesn't believe that God in His holiness made a way for evil, defiled sinners, that me, you, to be made right with Him through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And they may have heard of Jesus, but they haven't repented. They haven't been broken in, the heart, in their heart, grieved over their sin. Do you have a list of people that you're praying for like that? If you don't, I just want to encourage you. Don't feel bad that you don't, but go home and write one. Start thinking, Lord, who do I need to be praying for? Who do I need to be talking with about these very real end-of-the-world kinds of matters? Your heart ought to break. You ought, to, you ought to shed some tears for those who you know that when the Lord comes, if they don't repent and turn to Him for salvation, they will be swept away eternally. There is no place in the Christian faith for the end of the world coming and then just a loss of consciousness for those who are not in the Lord. No. Those who are not in the Lord will be swept away in a flood of God's judgment and God's wrath for all of eternity which has no end. They will be recipients of His judgment. God will pour out His wrath on them because they didn't trust that God pouring out His wrath on Christ was enough to save them and allow that to change their lives. We're not any better than they are. For some reason, maybe even unbeknownst to us, why did I hear the gospel and believe? I don't think I can give you a real good answer other than I know God worked on my heart and one day I believed the gospel. At times I've tried to run from the Lord. The Lord let me out a little bit and then said, okay, now I got work to do in your heart. I'm going to teach you something. And he drew me back to him. How do I explain all of that? I don't know. I don't know. I can tell you if I did anything else with my life, I would not be fulfilled. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be a pastor. It means however God has wired you to live as a Christian in your sphere of influence, it, 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 life would be meaningless if you weren't able to actively live out your Christian faith in your context. In your homes, fathers loving and leading your family in the Word, mothers, Encouraging and discipling and training up your children. Working at a job, husbands, wives, grandparents, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, in the context of relationships that you have. Life is 
meaningless if we're not living for the cause of Christ. I'm going to ask again. Who do you know? Who do you need to be praying for? And I want to encourage you to resist the temptation to think about how kind they are or how nice they are. Because nicety, kindness, Iowa nice, doesn't usher anyone into the kingdom of heaven. Being broken over our sin, repenting, and turning to the Lord alone for salvation. It's the only thing. And so pray, church, pray. Day after day after day, Lord, would you rend the heavens and save them? In Sunday school, I was t- talking to our group this morning, and I said, you know, one of the prayers that I pray often is something along the lines of, I heard it from somebody else, um, not very much original, is orig- not very much that I say that's good is original with me. It does just steal things from other people, right? So I heard somebody pray this one time, something along the lines of, God, would you get their attention as harsh as you need to be in their life to get their attention? You'd actually pray that from somebody? You better believe it. I'd rather have somebody go through what they think is a hell on earth to come to know Jesus and be with him for eternity than to have a nice cushy life and end up in an eternal position separated from the love of God but always present in his wrath. I don't want that for anybody. So Lord, be as harsh as you need to be to get their attention but as gentle as you can. Because that is a demonstration of your love for your children, your creation. So maybe you need to be praying that for somebody this morning, this week. And he says, but, verse 4, but you, remember, you yourselves, you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. So remember, he said, those who are not in the Lord. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. But you, you shouldn't be surprised. You should be ready. You should be living your life ready for the day of the Lord, ready for the return of Jesus and the day of judgment to come. You are children of the light. This is like a metaphor city here. So he gives two different sets of metaphors in these 11 11 verses. And he's talking about the day and the night, darkness and light. You are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. No, you know he's coming. You just don't know when he's coming. He says, you are all children of light, children of the day. We're not of the night or of the darkness. So there's the contrast. Some are going to be surprised, but not you. If you're in Christ, you ought not be surprised. You won't be surprised. And then he he says, remember, when you're reading the scriptures, look for these little words like, so then, or therefore. I guess that's not as little of a word. But you, so then, therefore. Helps you know how to follow the point of what is pass- of the passage. So then, verse 6, let us not sleep. Now, do you remember in chapters, uh, chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, he talks about those who are sleeping, those who have gone asleep. And we said that that is a, is a euphemism for those who have, uh, who have died, who have 
passed away, we say. They would have said those who are asleep. Well, here he's using the word sleep differently. In verse 4, when he's talking about, chapter 4, when he's talking about those who have died, he's talking about those who are asleep. And here he's talking about those who sleep. In other words, those who live in, uh, in darkness, often willful darkness to the truth of God is what he's getting at here. The, let us not sleep as others do. Let us not live in darkness as other people live in darkness. But the contrast, let us keep awake and be sober. Let us, let us keep awake and be sober or, or let us keep awake and live soberly. Let us live in such a way that we don't delude or distract our minds or our hearts from the things of God. When you get drunk, when you're, when you're using other substances, you use things that affect your mind, that affect your thinking. You know, I've even heard people say, well, I just think more clearly when I'm under the influence. I'm like, well, that's a problem, but I can understand how you might think you're thinking more clearly, but you're not. Chances are you're masking some pain, hiding some guilt, avoiding some responsibility. And he's saying, don't live as those who are not about the kingdom of God. Live soberly. Live with a a clear mind. Paul says elsewhere, be filled with the Spirit. Do not get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Singing and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, encouraging one another. That's really what he's getting at here in this passage. He says, for those who are asleep, there's that metaphor again, those who are are not living sober-minded for the things of God, those who are spiritually dead, those who are asleep, well, they sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. You know, there are times when when even people who who let me see how I want to say this. Uh, there are times that even those who live a lifestyle of drunkenness will say, well, it's only eleven AM. In other words, like, this isn't the time. This isn't the time. The time for this is later on in the day. The time for this is later on at night. He's saying, in, in other words, those who, who live this way, live this way at night. Those who are drunk get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, since we belong to the light, we are children of light. We are God's children every day and every night, if you will, is light to us. Because we live in the light of the truth of the glory of God. And he's saying those who, since we belong to the day, let us be sober. He repeats it. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, we remember that the word hope refers to a confident expectation. 
That's why this word hope has such power right here. Because he's saying, those who live with the hope of salvation live with a confident expectation of the return of the Lord, waiting for the day that Jesus returns for his people. We live in that hope, that strong, that confident assurance. And I want to ask you this question. How does living with the breastplate of faith and love Remember, I said it earlier, he said in in chapter 1, we're so thankful for your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus. I think this is the third time he mentions that that, uh, sort of triad together. Faith and love and hope. Well, here's the thing. The enemy wants to take you out. He wants to destroy your testimony. He wants to discourage you. He wants you to be fooled and think, oh, I'm not good enough for the kingdom. I don't know the Bible that well, or I'm not that well-spoken, or my testimony is not that great, or I heard that guy share his testimony. It's incredible. Mine's just like, I got saved when I was a kid, and I followed Jesus ever since. I mean, like, that's kind of boring. No, it's not. What a wonderful testimony of being spared from all the difficulty that many people go through in their life. God has given his people all kinds of testimonies for salvation. But here's the challenge. You are being fired at day and night, day and night, constantly from the enemy. He is slinging fiery darts at you. And you need the breastplate of faith in who God is, how he reveals himself in the scripture, and what he says he'll do. For his people. You need to believe it, not just know it. When you believe it, you begin to walk it out and put it into practice. Believing it's not enough. Jesus said, well, even the demons believe and they shudder. So believing it's not enough, but believing with faith, it's believing with a, a, an orient to walking it out is what we need. Faith and love. Love that comes from God. Paul said, so Christ's love, Second Corinthians Mm, 14 maybe for christ's love controls us we're controlled we're we are moved upon by the love of christ to walk in a way that brings glory to him friends i pray that this is an encouragement to you i don't want this to be some sort of like a burden you need to do better no but but if you're in christ your heart ought to be enlivened by the truth that Jesus is coming again. And as a result, we got to quit wasting time. Because I know people who don't know Jesus and we got to be busy about kingdom business. But then he gets to the real crux of why he's saying these things to these believers. Be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for, the helmet of, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus who died for us so that, purpose clause, so that whether we are awake, meaning whether we're alive, or whether we're asleep, whether whether we're awake, alive physically as God's children, or whether we've died asleep as God's children, we live with him.
A lot of times, little little verses in Scripture bring, bring up lots of questions. God has not destined us for wrath. What do we do with that? Well, who is God destined for wrath and who is God destined for salvation? Well, here's what we can say to that. The secret things belong to the Lord and we don't know. But here's what I know. If you're in Christ, you're destined for glory. And let's leave all the other questions, well, to greater understanding in the Word of God over time, but to walking it out in faith. That's the point. He's trying to encourage them. You're not destined for wrath. Oh, Pastor Matt, I don't like it when you talk about being destined. Well, Paul talked about it, so you're going to have to take that up with the Lord. He says, you've been destined to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that we live with him. Therefore, what's this therefore? Encourage one another. Build one another up. Just as you are doing. Remember the theme of this letter is uh, more and more. Remember he says in chapter 1, uh, he says, I can't find the verse off the top of my hand, but he says, you're, you're doing well, you're striving well. But keep doing so more and more. Keep doing so more and more. And he says, therefore, based on everything that I've just said, the fact that you don't, have, you don't need to be taught anymore about end times. You, you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like the thief of the night. They're not. They're going to think they've got the world by the tail. But you know. So don't live as those who are inebriated. Live as those who are under the control of the Holy Spirit, whose minds and hearts are quickened to the things of God because you're God's children, destined for life with God. Why? Well, for God's glory. Now, why am I saying all of these things? So that you might encourage one another. Now, I just want to pause for a, a quick question for you. When you are facing a struggle in this life, when you're discouraged, when you're disheartened, when you're, you're feeling... Uh, emotionally disheveled, we'll call it that for now. When you've been deeply hurt by someone, when it seems like whatever you try to do, your finances just can't seem to come together, or whatever you try to do to work well for your employer, it just seems like there's somebody who's always trying to one-up you to get the promotion before you. Or you're at church and this person hurt you or this person said that about you and you're just discouraged and you're downtrodden. With the psalmist, you'd say, why so downcast, O my soul? Which David said, put your hope in God. But brothers and sisters, I want to ask you, are you more encouraged when your circumstance turns around or when you remember whose you are? Because when you remember whose you are, you know that nothing in this world happens without purpose in your life. Not a thing. 
Not a hair from your head falls to the ground without the Lord ordaining it for your good and for his glory. And he says, we need to remind each other of these things. Therefore, let's take all this that we've talked about now, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Keep doing it. Now here's a challenge. Sometimes we need to take the initiative and ask someone to build us up. Sometimes you need to go to somebody and you need to say, you know what, I'm really down. I'm really struggling. It feels like I can't get my thought life in order. I'm not believing the truths of God. Can you pray for me? I mean, I've called people before and I've said, I need you to pray for me. Well, I can't do that. Well, that's pride. And pride goes before the fall. So sometimes you need to take the initiative and reach out and say, could you help me? Could you encourage me? Can you remind me like what this life's all about? I've done that many times. I mean, I can't count the number of times I've said something similar. I may have told you before, I have a friend <laughs> I've been friends with for 20 years. He's another pastor who lives in another state. And sometimes we'll just call each other and be like, bro, I need you to fix my life. <laughs> we know we don't mean that. We're just like, I, I need encouragement. And he's like, oh, you're no problem, man. I can help you all day long. It's my own life I can't fix. <laughs> but here's the point. I could tell him anything about my life, about my motives, about my sinful thoughts. And I know that he would, he as a brother would love me to the end. I know that of many of you for me would do the same thing. Sometimes you need to humble yourself and call someone and say, I need you to encourage me. I need you to build me up in the faith. And sometimes you need to approach someone and say, you know, I don't want to cross the line into what's too personal, but at the same time, I know you enough to know that something seems off. You okay? I don't want what you think is the right answer. Perceived right answers don't help anybody. Like, how are you? How's your soul? How can I pray for you? Can we get coffee this week? Will you tell me how I can come alongside of you? Encourage one another and build one another up. Friends, we can spend a majority of our time thinking about all of the ways that people haven't done something right to us or all of the ways that Pastor Matt's message should have gone here instead of here or all of the ways that uh, I wish we'd be doing this differently in the church or all of the ways that we get gripe, 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 gripe. Let no one wholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only that which is profitable for building others up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. My question is, how can you, children of the day, use your words and your prayers to encourage one another, to build one another up? Please don't assume somebody else is doing it. But be aware in your conversations. Be listening as you dialogue with people. Get to the spiritual meat. Don't be satisfied just to talk about sports. I, talk about sports. Be my guest. But don't stop just there. 
Don't be satisfied just to talk about hunting. Don't be satisfied just to talk about fishing. Don't be satisfied just to talk about what's happening culturally in our nation. No, get to the heart of the matter. How do we build one another up and encourage each other in the faith? Why? Because Jesus is coming. We need to be active. We need to be engaged as wholehearted followers of Christ, those who are living according to the day. Living expectantly with great hope. Let's pray. Father, these are good words that you've given us, and I pray that you would help us as we remember your perfect life and death and burial and your resurrection, and as we take uh, this communion together, eat this body, this bread that resembles the way that you lived perfectly and sacrificially laid down your life for us. And as we drink this cup here in a moment, to remember that your blood was poured out for us because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so, Lord, we pray that you would use this time as a reminder. Use us in one another's lives to encourage each other so that we would live as children of the day knowing that you're coming and could come at any moment, maybe before the end of this service, maybe before the end of this prayer. Help us rest in you and actively live trusting in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.